if you want to avoid all the sickness this winter, the snotty noses, the coughs, the colds, the sleepless nights, the fevers, the Panadol and the antibiotics, the ear infections, the grumpy, tired kids, the days off work and school and childcare, are all those memories of last winter coming back? I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way this winter. I have a free online masterclass, three simple ways to boost your kids' immunity to avoid a winter full of sickness. It's on demand, meaning you can register and watch it straight away or watch it at a time that is convenient for you. Head on over to naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune and you will be able to sign up. In the masterclass, I am covering our natural, simple and effective approach to avoiding winter infections, how to boost your family's immunity with our proven three-step naturopathic strategy that is really easy for you to implement as a busy mum. We're going to talk about the immune depleters that you need to avoid so you're not wasting time and money building up your kids' immunity that is just being depleted by these common foods and environmental factors. I am sharing heaps of practical tips. I promise it will be an hour well spent. You can register again at naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune. I can't wait to hear how you find it and to give you the tips to make this winter healthier. Welcome to the Natural Super Kids podcast, where you will discover practical strategies to inspire you to boost the health and nutrition of your kids. I'm Jessica Donovan, a qualified naturopath specializing in kids' health, and I want to make it as easy as possible for you to raise healthy and happy kids. Let's get into it. everybody. Welcome back to the Natural Super Kids podcast. Uh, so good to have you listening in today. Today we are joined by our naturopath, uh, Sarah Warboys. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Jess. Good to be here. So good to have you back. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is close to both of our hearts, which is perimenopause. So Sarah and I are both sort of in those perimenopausal years. And we wanted to chat about this on the podcast because we recently did a masterclass and a cheat sheet in the club on perimenopause and they were really popular with our club members, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think because a lot of the mums in the in the club are of this age, you yes. know, with tween to teen kids and we're all sort of, you know, high on hormones or low on hormones. <laughs> A bit of both sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such a good point because because we're having babies later generally, like we're often going through these perimenopausal years while our, you know, kids are going through the teen years or the changes of puberty, sometimes even, you know, with younger kids. And so that can you know, make things a bit tricky um, or just sort of, you know, add add different dimensions to what we're going through as well. So 
Um, we are, as I said, Sarah and I are both in these years. Um, and before we get started into perimenopause, do you want to just share a little bit about yourself for anyone who might not have heard the podcast you've been on before? Yeah, so I'm the consulting naturopath with Natural Super Kids and been working with you for two years. Um, but I first started studying naturopathy in the late 90s. And um, so I was in my 20s and, you know, we studied female hormones, female reproductive system and perimenopause was one of those um, subjects. And so I think, and so my mum at the time had started going through perimenopause and so she was really my first patient and my first experiment. So she took herbs, she went to acupuncture, um, she started yoga, she started exercising, really sort of, I think that was maybe not just because of me, but that sort of self-care direction. But I think that is, you know, a lot of women find themselves in that place, um, realising that they can't keep going with how they were going. And so things need to change because that our bodies are changing and we can't do what we used to do um, as often or just keep pushing through. So, um, but I think a lot of women, like, like I think through actually through social media, perimenopause is becoming, you know, quite talked about um, and women are becoming more familiar with symptoms around it and that something is going on. Um, but I think, well, you would have studied it and I studied it. So it's always been, I think, on my mind that there is something like we have tools in our naturopathic kit that can support us in this transition. And we're really well placed as naturopaths and nutritionists to support ourselves and to support women going through the transition. Yeah, such a good point because I was actually talking to a friend recently who had gone to the doctor to get some hormone testing because she felt that things had had been changing and the doctor's answer was like there's no point in testing your hormones because, you know, nothing is definitive in any sort of blood tests when it comes to perimenopause and you're certainly not menopausal yet. So I th- I agree like as naturopaths and nutritionists there's so much that we can offer to support women through this transitional stage which is exactly what it is like we often talk about it as the second puberty and I love thinking about it like that for me personally you know my kids are sort of in the in the throes of of puberty and so yeah. you give them you know you give them grace and you're patient with them because of that and so I think we need to you know do the same for ourselves and our perimenopausal <laughs> friends and um family because it is you know it it is a transition and it is a change um so do you want to share some of the the facts about perimenopause in case people sort of are wondering what is this perimenopause and am I actually in it yeah so like you just said about the the hormonal testing like <clears throat> that yeah hormones do start um moving 
So progesterone naturally declines and estrogen goes on a bit of a roller coaster. So um, progesterone is also a little like acts as a buffer to estrogen. So when our progesterone levels are normal, we could handle some fluctuations. Well, we do monthly fluctuations in estrogen and not feel the effects of that because we have progesterone there protecting and buffering us. but as progesterone declines, we sort of start to feel the full effects of that estrogen roller coaster. And so, um, you know, moodiness, sleeplessness, so it's a combination of lowered progesterone and, you know, fluctuating estrogen, um, brain fog, um, yeah, low mood, sleeplessness, um, fatigue. Um, weight gain, insulin resistance. So it's like a you don't necessarily get all of those things, um, but often women sort of, you know, tick about two, three, four of those boxes. Yes, all the fun things, through. right? Yeah. And, and also like shorter cycles um, is really common as well. And I'm personally, you know, experiencing those. So periods that are coming more regularly, you know, every 22, 23, 24 days, heavy, heavier periods, more painful periods. I know personally I've never had painful periods um, or even heavy periods, but over the last year or so, they've definitely become, you know, I've had the cramping. I'm like, mm. oh, this is, this is period. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, hev- heavier periods. And I love what you said about that, you know, the estrogen going on a bit of a roller coaster. When I was researching for the perimenopause masterclass that I put together, um, I was actually really surprised to read that estrogen can actually increase by three times, Um, but it is really fluctuating because we think about menopause as, you know, that decline in estrogen, but before that happens, the estrogen kind of, like you said, goes on that roller coaster and can actually increase, which, you know, leads to a lot of the signs and symptoms that are so common in perimenopause. Yeah, that's right. And um, I just wanted to touch on that testing you mentioned with the GP. So I guess if, yeah, it's not all that informative, the GP testing, but um, we can refer to, like we refer for Dutch testing and that gives us um, quite a good overview of what the hormones are doing, what pathways they're being metabolized and particular, like if there's a dominance of some it doesn't just do estrogen and progesterone, but looks at DHEA and androgens and their pathways. So it can give us some real insight into how to use our tools, like, you know, if we need to increase estrogen metabolism or androgen metabolism, you know, we can play around with those things. Um, So I just wanted to touch on that testing. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, like the regular blood tests from um, GPs are going to be, as we said, sort of pretty hopeless in this stage. But, yeah, there's certainly testing that we can do. And that estrogen metabolism and how that's happening through, you know, the various pathways is such good information for us to have, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, because some people will be metabolizing estrogen really well, so those higher levels of estrogen won't necessarily affect them as much because their body's, you know, detoxifying and metabolizing that. Whereas other people that have, um, you know, compromised detox pathways, which can be picked up in things like the Dutch testing, um, are going to have a harder time. So yeah, that's uh, really important that you mention that. So. Let's talk about stress because I have been um, sort of sharing and I think my personal experience as well is that I think rest is the number one thing that is that is so important in these perimenopause mm. years. Can you um, explain a little bit about the impact of stress in perimenopause? Yeah, yep. So we have um, in our body a system um, called the HPA axis, which is the hypothalamus, pituitary and adrenal glands. Um, they're connected and they help with our stress regulation and stress response. So when we have a bit of a dysfunction in that axis, that, um, that means, yeah, we have a reduced ability to cope with stress. Um, when it's dysregulated, we produce higher amounts of cortisol and adrenaline um, and those things lead to insomnia, anxiety, fatigue and insulin resistance. Um, it, um, yeah, so and causes, like what causes the HPA axis to become dysregulated, um, one of them is the lowered progesterone. So um, that's naturally going to happen. Um, and other things are just like chronic ongoing stress. So, you know, um, if you've got a stressful job um, or you just, you know, you're not doing all of those self-care things that help reduce your stress levels, staying up late, getting up early, over-exercising, anything that puts stress on your body parenting. on an ongoing level. What did you say? <laughs> parenting. Yeah, parenting. <laughs> Regular life. I mean, really, yeah. like yeah. we don't, you know, I think pe people being affected by stress and having too much stress or not coping well with stress is pretty standard, isn't it? it is. And I think yeah. it's in these years that we start, you know, we might be able to power through. I think you mentioned that before in our 20s and 30s, but we get to our, our 40s and these sta this stage where our hormones start to change and we just we just can't do it anymore. We can't cope with the, um, you know, that sort of high-paced uh, lifestyle as well anymore. We certainly feel the effects of that. Yeah, and I think it's really important to uh, not put it off. I heard a conversation a little while ago about it was a woman my age sort of talking about, well, in a few years I'll have time to go and look after myself when the kids are sort of more settled. And I know like it can be really hard to carve out that time for yourself, but it's you actually really need to be doing it now and putting those things in place to just be able to switch off um, and look after yourself. Because in a few years, I mean, you, you're just so not in the habit of doing that anyway. And it does take time to to train yourself to look after yourself. And build in those habits. That's so true. And we know also that women that go into the perimenopause years and menopausal years 
with that dysregulated HPA access, you know, that those high sort of stress levels are, are generally have a harder time with perimenopause and menopause. So yeah, it's it like I love that you said that. It's really important to start um, now, uh, wherever wherever that might be for people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, just also one of the things that can disrupt that axis is the circadian rhythm. So not getting enough, you know, good morning light and then overexposure to evening light. And like though, you know, that evening light, it is unavoidable to some extent because we all have electricity we need to do things at night but we can minimize that as much as possible but at the other end of the day in the morning is probably it well it's so important to be exposed to morning light within that first hour of waking um, because that directly um, impacts the pituitary gland um, through the eyes the sunlight Yes, such an easy practical tip, like to um, you know head outside within that hour of waking and get that natural exposure to sunlight, um, which helps uh, you know regulate that circadian rhythm, which is going to help with the stress response, but also really helpful for for sleep as well. And that's something else we wanted to talk about today because you know the the disruption to sleep mm. um that can happen through this perimenopausal phase like obviously has so many negative impacts on all different aspects of our lives and it leads to more mood issues more grumpiness yeah <laughs> all of that sort of thing so um can you explain a bit more about how sleep is impacted during these years and and what we can do to sort of support healthy sleep yeah so I think, uh, yeah, progesterone does help support good sleep. So if you're in your sort of still menstruating years, um, you might have noticed that you get a little bit of insomnia before your period, like I always have. Um, so that's the natural reduction of progesterone. But if we're sort of having lowered progesterone generally all the time, then we don't have that lovely sort of effect of it. Um, so that's one one reason why we might our sleep might be affected um but personally that's one thing that has has really impacted me like just waking up like I can go back to sleep pretty well but I'm just waking up like every two to three hours and yeah having a little hot flush and um it's it's a little it's disturbing and it's such a change and it's I feel like it's one of those changes that yeah I don't have control over despite you know taking care of myself and you know or taking all the right herbs, things, all yeah. the things. Um, but yeah there are lots of things we can do you know like taking magnesium um, herbs to help sort of nourish the nervous system, address stress. So addressing stress during the day um, will really help your sleep at night. Um, the circadian rhythm that we just talked about will really help your sleep-wake cycles as well. So that so exposure that to light. light. Yeah. Exercise and exercising in the morning is probably better then, you know, later at night um, so that your body's had an opportunity to wind down. My glasses are fogging up because I'm having a little hot flush. Um, (laughs) And um, um, 
Yeah, I lost my train of thought there. But <laughs> <laughs> Those hot flushes. I see. I haven't. I haven't had the hot flushes yet. I've had. I've had some night sort of sweats premenstrually, but yeah. I haven't personally experienced those yet. I'm not. I'm sure that they will be to come. But um, yeah, I think you're like the magnesium um is such a good uh point. I think when it comes to sleep, because magnesium is so helpful for perimenopausal symptoms generally as well. So. I think if um, you know anyone listening is thinking of uh, you know taking something or you know what they can do um, to support themselves, like number one would be magnesium. It's going to help sleep. It's going to help mood. Um, it's also going to help you know general hormone balance. I also I've also been affected by the you know the sleep disruptions. You know the the early morning waking and then struggling to get back to sleep. And I just wanted to share like a little practical tip that has worked really well for me is just um, like the yoga nidra. So just in my head, thinking about relaxing all the different parts of my body. So I start with, um, or just even awareness in those certain parts of of the body. So, you know, start with little toe, next toe, next toe, next toe, foot, ankle, lower leg, knee, you know, and I go quite slowly through my whole body. And I find that works really well to help me I think it gives my mind something to to focus on but it's also having that relaxing effect but as well um that morning light exposure I think is super um important yeah yeah and if you can combine that with some exercise in the morning that's really good I find that the mornings that I go to the gym uh get up at six I just am really ready for sleep at night and I have a have a better sleep yeah, definitely. And I do combine those two things. So I do online workouts, but I take my laptop outside into a sunny part of the, um, you know, the garden and, uh, you know, I'm doing some exercise and getting that morning light exposure. Mm, so perfect. Yeah. You know, it's all about, um, you know, <laughs> combining habits. <laughs> exactly. Yes, for sure. Um, all right. So sleep um, is, you know, is, is a big one. Let's move on to alcohol. Now, alcohol has, um, you know, quite an effect during these years. Um, and there's lots of reasons why we should think about reducing or eliminating alcohol. So can you talk more about that? Yeah, there's a few reasons. So I guess in direct direct relation to sleep. Um, It's pretty well known that alcohol disrupts our sleep cycle. We don't sleep as deeply and we don't get as much restorative sleep. Um, You might fall asleep better initially, but um, sleep cycles are are, um, definitely affected. Alcohol also, we'll go back to the HPA axis, alcohol also affects that axis directly. So especially like with perimenopause, that's already been affected and alcohol on top of that will just um, dysregulate that system even more. So it disrupts it by... um, the the chemicals, um, the neurotransmitters and, and the neural structure involved in that axis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a couple of, re- you know, really good reasons to um, eliminate alcohol or really reduce it. Um, the limit, like there's, there's actually no data on saying that 
um, any amount of alcohol is good. That's actually a myth that one a day is good for you. Um, so, you know, zero or, you know, up to two alcohol uh, standard drinks a week is probably which is really low. Go, which is yeah. really low. And have you poured yourself a glass of wine that's a standard? It's like 90 mils. I was reading a bottle the other day of red wine and I, I poured 90 mils and I'm like, that is one standard drink. It's a mouthful, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe yeah. not quite. <laughs> yeah. So it's not much. Um, mm. And if, like, I think that would probably be a good place to start if you were, you know, curious about your alcohol consumption. Just work out how much you are actually drinking and, um, yeah, just have a think about that just as a starting point um, because you might be drinking like three to four standard drinks or five when you're actually thinking you're only having one to three. So, and that's quite, that's quite a big difference in terms of impact on your body. Yeah, definitely. And I was um, reading something the other day, you know, obviously alcohol initially does make us feel good. It can yeah. help, us make, help make us feel relaxed or more social or whatever it might be. Um, but uh, something that really hit home for me when I was I was reading something the other day was you know it like alcohol does you know improve or increase those feel good neurotransmitters initially, um, but only for about twenty to thirty minutes and then it's decline you know and then we actually have negative effects on those neurotransmitters for hours afterwards. Mm. So mm. that was a really good motivator because I will be transparent. I'm not perfect. <laughs> you know, I do like like a glass of wine, and I think um, you know I probably would benefit from cutting it out altogether. Um, but yeah, that really hit home in terms of like, do I really want that? you know, that that 10 minute or 20 minute or 30 minute, you know, feel good for two, three hours of the negative impact that it's going to have. Yeah, that's right. And I think a lot of people, you know, they, yeah, drink it to feel good, get that relaxation, address sort of low mood or anxiety and it helps them feel good. But yeah, it causes the after effect is actually more anxiety. And then so we can go on that cycle of treating our anxiety with alcohol, which is actually causing more anxiety and just get into that cycle. And it affects our sleep in a negative yep. way as well and our mood in a negative way. So again, you know, short term, maybe we feel better, but, you know, the next day, even after just one or two glasses, our mood is probably suffering because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And then that comes back to that, I guess, self-care and habit forming, like what can we do that gives us a sense of relaxation? Um, at the end of the week or whenever you're sort of reaching for that alcohol. So substituting something in that's positive but also helps you feel relaxed. Um, I've got a few ideas. but Yeah, um, share them, you, share them. Yeah, I think it's, well, it's really because I think a lot of the time alcohol does just become a habit. For me, you know, it does. You automatically open that bottle of wine on a Friday night or whatever without even really thinking about it. So um, it is. it does come back to that, that habit change. Yeah. I, um, I love having a sauna and mm -hmm. we've got one at our leisure centre. And I, I don't always go on a Friday, but um, that's a bit of a circuit break for me because it always, it 
I feel like it has a similar effect, but much more nourishing effect. I feel very relaxed after having a sauna. Um, a hot bath with magnesium salts would probably help me as well. Um, and then I guess practically drink-wise, having something that maybe is a bit celebratory um, and still nice, you know, like a fizzy, a drink or a kombucha or a water kefir or something, you know, that you can have as a substitute that feels nice. There's so many options these days as well, yeah. isn't there? Even if we yeah. want to go for, you know, the non-alcoholic wine or non-alcoholic gin, but yeah, kombucha or something like that in a nice wine glass um, is, you know, a beautiful sort of swap. And I love that sauna idea. Um, yeah. And for me, you know, that, that bath. So we want to be um, switching, you know, we don't want to be feeling deprived because our healthy habits are never going to last if we're yeah. feeling like, oh, I've got to cut out the wine and <laughs> that sort of thing. So we want to be rewarding ourselves in a, in a different way when we're trying to, to change habits as well. And, um, yeah, I love the bath idea. That's definitely one for me as well. One I find um, really good as well is just a, a bolster, like a yoga bolster. I have one in my bedroom and just laying back over that and focusing on my breathing. It's something really simple that I can do at home. Like I don't even have to go anywhere um, to do that. And another one for me is, you know, a walk in nature. I'm lucky to have some really beautiful natural um, places around me, which I think most people in Australia um, probably have, even if you live in a city. Um, so I feel like that, you know, exposure to nature and fresh air Definitely. Um, is, a, is a big one as well. Yeah. And I think with habits, I know what always works for me is trying to put something in first before taking something out. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I often feel tense around the idea of restriction and I have to take this out or I have to reduce it or, um, and so information as well helps me too, like knowing, you know, what's happening in my body or like how many drinks that is. Like I said before, working out how many standard drinks you're actually having um, and then adding something in to your daily routine or your um, Friday evening as a substitute rather than feeling like you've got to take something away. Definitely. And that's really just going to help in the moment as well, isn't it? Like if you've got somewhere to go that you can look forward to, um, yeah, changing that sort of routine really helps as well. Because we do, we get in those habitual sort of um, routines. And that um, that idea of habit stacking, I think, is a good one to, to talk a bit about as well. So when you're trying to bring in a new healthy habit, adding it to something that you're already sort of doing. Um, yeah. So, uh, for example, if you're trying to um, remember to take your magnesium every day, um, you know, just making sure that that magnesium is with your, um, you know, your herbal teas that you might drink at night so that you can, you know, so, so that's already a habit that you're, that you're drinking a herbal tea or having breakfast. Um, so you can add that in there. I think that can really help with changing habits as well. 
Definitely. And I guess shifting that your mindset as well from I'm not, you know, necessarily taking something out at the moment. I'm just changing perhaps the time of day or I'm going to substitute something else in that time. I've recently switched my coffee drinking to I was I'm in a habit, have been for a while of having one waking up and um look forward to it before I go to bed at night and I just (laughs) switched doing that because of like the circadian rhythms and um, cortisol so I've been doing it just for a week and a half and you know when I go to the gym as well I have one with Pete in the morning and before we go so this morning was the first time we didn't have one together and we just went to the gym and it was fine it was good still having it when I you know, have breakfast and when I get home. So I'm not saying no, but I'm just kind of playing around with it to help my body cope a bit better with it. And I love that. And that's a really, another really good example of not necessarily taking it out altogether, but, um, well, you know, with coffee in the morning, like if you're drinking coffee on an empty stomach, that is not going to be great for, you know, your blood sugar regulation or your stress response, your cortisol, which are all the things that we've sort of been talking about. So just switching that morning coffee to have like later on with your breakfast, you're still having it, but it's going to make, you know, a really big difference. Yeah, definitely. Anything else you wanted to share on habit change? Oh, um, I think that's yeah, I think I we've think covered. That, yeah, I think just starting really simple. I think it's easy to just get caught up in that. I've got to change this. I've got to change that, and then that creates stress. And then if we don't do it, we feel like we've failed. But you know, trying moving things around and sort of adding some nourishing things in before you feel like you've got to remove too much. I love that one. And not expecting too much of yourself either. Like for example, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about how beneficial exercise can be. Um, And so if you're not an exerciser and you haven't regularly exercised, just set yourself a goal to now exercise five times a week and go to the gym for an hour every morning. Like it's probably not going to last. Um, You know, so making the habit changes that you are looking at enjoyable and realistic so you get this sense of accomplishment and then you can kind of go that next step so that's even right. if it's yeah. just like okay I'm just going to commit to going for a five minute walk and then it will be five minutes back so you're getting a 10 minute walk every day um you know it's not going to meet the the recommended um, amount of exercise but it's a great start and it's got you're going to be much more likely to be able to stick to that. And generally, once you get going and you go for five minutes, you're probably going to go for a bit longer (laughs) because it feels good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I love my walks. I do a walk nearly every afternoon when I finish work. I do an online workout in the morning. And then my walk in the afternoon is like the full stop on the end of my work day. Um, And I just look forward to them so much. I, um, you know, chat with friends or listen to a podcast or try and um, also do some of it at least just quiet um, and not take my phone sometimes. Uh, But yeah, even, you know, having a podcast that you're really into or an audio book. So then you look forward to going um, for that walk to, to have a listen can be helpful as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, there's so much we could talk about here, <laughs> but that was like, a, you know, a really good uh, start. I think we talked about a lot of really important things, ways to support sleep, um, you know, magnesium, if you're not already taking it, is a really good one to be, um, to, to start with for sure. There's so much else we can offer as well. If you're a club member, you do have access to our perimenopause masterclass and cheat sheet that goes into you know, more detail and, you know, specific supplements we recommend and that sort of thing. If you're not a club member, um, we'll pop a link so that you can get on the the wait list um, below uh, in the show notes of this um, episode. Um, and also there's the option to be able to book um, an appointment with you, Sarah. Um, so yeah, we'll pop the link, um, to book an appointment with Sarah below as well, because as you can hear, she's got a personal experience with this (laughs) stage of life and is also, you know, really knowledgeable, um, practitioner. And I know that you really enjoy uh, supporting mums through this stage as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing your your wisdom with us. It's been yeah, a great I loved chat. It. Yeah, thank you. And just before we go, I'd love for you to reach out to uh, me on Instagram over at Natural Super Kids and let me know what habit um, you are going to change or add in or tweak um, based on what we've talked about in this episode. I'd love to hear from you there. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Head on over to our website, naturalsuperkids.com for the show notes for this episode, as well as a whole heap of inspiration to help you raise healthy and happy kids. I'll see you next week. Before you go, don't forget about my free online on-demand masterclass, Three Simple Ways to Naturally Boost Your Kid's Immunity to Avoid a Winter Full of Sickness. I'm sharing my practical tips on ways that you can strengthen your whole family's immune system to avoid the onslaught of winter infections so your family can stay healthy and well this winter. You can sign up at naturalsuperkids.com forward slash immune.